Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Uh, welcome to another episode of Major League Hoops. This is season two, episode two. I am joined by Chris Wentworth. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good, baby. It is good to be back. It is good to be talking with you. We tried recording it at first, and I think you mentioned something about it being season two. This is the first podcast I've ever been on that's had a second season, so pretty excited. I feel like I'm a member of like Stranger Things or one of those cult classics that's just about to you know, take off into the sky, and everybody's going to be like, hey, did you hear Major League Hoops this week? It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the goal, isn't it? We do have... Uh... We have a couple things to talk about. Uh, we're gonna let me start off by saying the draft date is finalized. Uh, it is going to be October 9th. It is going to be at 7 p.m. It is going to be Sunday. Reese will be able to make it, which is wonderful. I'm glad our Aussie friend is going to be able to make it. Big fan of Reese. Hype be surreal. Um, big fan of Australia. Big yeah. fan of Australia. You know, Josh um, Giddy, Kangaroos, Vegemite. It's awesome. Yeah, we have draft date finalized today. I did make power, uh, point guard rankings into tiers, but we're not going to talk about that today. We can talk about that maybe next week. So I want to edit it and it's still plenty of time out. So we're going to do this like once a week. But today I am going to we're going to talk about some power rankings I came up with for uh, keepers. Uh, we're also going to talk about the trade that went down between Pete and Ian's teams. Very interesting trade, in my opinion. Chris and I will again, I'll touch briefly we'll touch briefly on our trade you hear chris's perspective on it what he's thinking about doing and maybe give somewhat of a slight interest as insight as to uh how we view uh, just how we view their future with the uh team's futures with the draft so let's start off chris anything you wanted to add before we get going no, I think I'm pretty much all set. Um, you know, again, like the only thing that I would say is that I'm sure that a lot of people's keepers are up in the air just, you know, due to the fact that it's still early in the year, but then also, you know, trades could happen. So this is just sort of like a feel it out sort of thing. They change dramatically. Obviously, this will adjust, but I expect it to happen before draft day. I would concur with that. Let's start off the number one keeper set. I think it honestly kind of uh changed i think the number one keeper set is ian i think having dame and having luca and based off of what i've been looking at as far as draft wise and strategies and what could work what won't work having elite point guards like that at the top of the draft could could really help you out yeah, no, I would definitely agree with you there. The one thing that I will say is that I feel like we're starting to enter that phase in Dame's career where the usage is going to start trickling down. I don't necessarily think that it'll happen this year like super hard or anything like that. But if you do look at the last few years, his usage has gone down slowly, not anything too crazy. But last year, I think it was at a low in general for the last like five years. So I do wonder if Portland is in a position where they don't expect to really win many games and they want to try some young new talent and maybe they ship Dame eventually. I kind of think that it'd be cool to see him on a legit team. But yeah, yeah. I think that obviously Ian's keeper set with Luca and him is just, it's going to be lots of points, lots of assists. And Luca gets a lot of out of position rebounds too, which is part of the draw with him. So I, I think I'm going to, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm just going to say, I think Ian's keepers put him in a really good position, especially with the draft picks that he got now. Yeah, that that's what I was going to say too. And like, I think that Ian is, I don't mean to put so much pressure on him 
because if there's one thing Ian Polk loves, it's pressure. But I will say that I can't think of a team that's better set up to win before the draft has even begun than Ian. We're talking right now, if I go to his team, it's it's just like, I mean, he has he has Dame and he has, uh, and obviously he has Luca, And then he has the first selection, or the sorry, the second pick in the third round. He also then has the seventh pick in the third round. And then in the next round, he has the sixth pick and the 11th pick. And then he also, like, Ian's going to be done with the draft by round 10. And he's also going to have, what, one, two, he's going to have pretty much his entire, how many, one, two, three, four, six. He is going to have nine players by the end of the seventh round. I mean, it's just, he's going to have, he's got like, what, six picks? That's including his keepers in the first 50? In the first 50 picks? That's crazy. There's nine spots in the playoffs. Unless Ian drafts, like, unless Ian's like, I'm going to reach on all these picks. I'm going to just keep reaching, just reach for diamonds in the rough. Then he's going to make the playoffs. Like, nine teams make the playoffs. Ian is making the playoffs this year. I'm, I'm saying it now. If he doesn't, it's just one of the biggest collapses I've ever seen. Because just... Based off of math, it, it, he would have to be like the most unlucky person to ever play this game. Yeah, I mean, we've been in this position before, though, right? Like, we've seen teams that have had tons of draft capital, and they haven't been able to put it together the next year. So nothing's impossible, but I will say that, you know, to echo basically what you said, Ian's in a very, very prime position to take advantage of the draft and then have a stacked roster basically for a playoff run. I mean, I will say, I, I agree with that. I, I think that the the prime example is Pete's team, whether it was last year or the year before, and he was losing his mind. He was like, I should have the best team in the league. This is bullshit. And I think the problem with that team is that there were a couple of guys who he took that were like either injured or coming back from injury, and they just weren't ready. You know, like they weren't, they never saw the court. Uh, like I think one of the picks he had that year was like Kevin Love. And it was like Kevin Love didn't even play. That is the one thing about fantasy basketball is that like if you do have a position like that, you, you it's much better to just not gamble and just go with like the, the baseline than go with any type of gambling. So at number two, I have Kyle. Kyle probably keeping Steph Curry and Carl Anthony Towns literally numbers three and four on the player Raider. I would naturally have Kyle ranked higher, but the the one caveat for me right now, Kyle would be number one, but the one thing that I have right now is, uh, first of all, he's looking to trade either Towns or Curry. That really doesn't matter because right now it's Towns and Curry. But second of all, I just don't know if those big numbers are going to come down for Towns at all. And then keeping specifically with the addition of Rudy Gobert now, on the Timberwolves. I'm just curious if that's going to uh, affect his fantasy value tremendously or just slightly. I don't know if it affects it tremendously because what Cat does for you is like a lot of out of position stuff for a center, like making threes and all of that stuff. And so Gobert is more of the traditional center. So, you know, that kind of tandem might work over in Minnesota to a way that like boosts their value more so than anything else maybe they 
maybe Cat doesn't get as many rebounds, or maybe Gobert doesn't get as many points as they have been in the past. But I I think that their roles are defined in such a way that they're able to help each other and elevate each other rather than necessarily take away. But you know that being said, Kyle is looking to maybe trade Towns or Curry, so it might not exactly matter what we say here. But if I were him, I might I might stand pat. You said it yourself that they're what number three and four on the player radar, like. They're just big boosts for you categorically week in and week out. You know, Steph with the threes, Towns with everything that he does. Um, so I don't know. I might be more inclined to keep them than um, Kyle is, but I think he'll make the right move. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's tricky, right? Because there's a couple of intangibles that like we can't really quantify, right? I mean, because the Warriors, I don't... I don't know if Steph is going to have to carry as much of a load as he's had to carry this past like couple of years since really like 2020, because, you know, we're final. We're going to have a full season of him and Clay. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood. James Wiseman is potentially getting added to the mix. I don't know if that's going to affect the game plan all that much. I don't think it should because they just won a championship. But if he's enough of a scoring threat, then like it might give Curry a little bit of rest, which he definitely needs because he does end up missing games all the time and the uh and the concerns for towns are a little bit valid for the bigs like if you're keeping a big and you're you're if you're keeping carl anthony town like you you are keeping carl anthony towns because all of those numbers are elite if only some of those numbers are elite then you're not really considering keeping them but for right now i can't think of two players with a safer floor than towns and uh Towns and Curry. It just all depends on uh, on how everything goes forward. I just like I think I like Luca and Dame just a little bit more because I think Dame is going to have a more of a uh, very much a breakout year because I think he's still mad as hell in Portland and um, Luca is going to. You know, I think he's going to take just another step forward. Put it this way: I think that there's more question marks surrounding what the roles Towns and curry are going to have this year than there is with luca and dame like those guys are going to be the stars of their team they're going to be handling the ball all the time yeah i i think if i was kyle i'd you know if i could trade and get a third round pick that would be great if not i think i'd just stand pat i don't don't see any i mean after seeing the price that Giannis just demanded and i think Giannis is not as good as towns though there are more question marks for towns than there are for Giannis. i don't know it's interesting at number three, I have our good friend Paul Teasler. Now, Paul is hell-bent on trading James Harden. I do not understand this. I personally do not understand the theory of trading James Harden. I don't, I, I don't get it. I really, really don't. I mean, Paul has Nikola Jokic and James Harden. What, what, why? What is... Why would you need to break that? What is the benefit there that I'm missing? I mean, Paul's team is, I don't really know what I'm doing. So he just is doing what he wants to do. Uh, And that's trading Harden. And I don't, you're on one side of the coin. I'm on the exact opposite side of the coin. Like trade him. I don't think that James Harden is the James Harden that we Oh, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I think that James Harden is going to probably have, I think he's, I think that he's he, he might have found motivation for the first time in his freaking life um, this offseason. And still, even with last season, even with that season, he finished 10th on the player Raider. He finished 10th, okay? So he would have Nikola Jokic, 
who finished first, and then James Harden, who finished 10th, and is going to probably have a better season, because he's going to have a full season, hopefully. But you want to trade James Harden I didn't for realize, what? I didn't realize I was doing a podcast <laughs> with Stephen A. Smith. That's amazing. I just um, don't get it. I, I don't. I yeah. understand the frustration, but Paul, you have the like second to last pick in the first round and the friggin' second pick in the second round. You were going to have so much depth. So I didn't want to throw it away. So John, John doesn't want Paul to trade James Harden. But what I will say to help reinforce Paul's point of trading James Harden is I'd be curious to see the value shift from when he was in Brooklyn to when he was in Philadelphia. Because my whole point of saying why I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea to trade to trade James Harden is because <sighs> Joel Embiid is is the 76er. Like there's no mistaking it. And when Harden gets matched up with somebody that's like that, there's usually a little bit of a disconnect there. And I don't know. I'm just judging off of recent history's past. Like Harden was best when he was on the Rockets when he was by himself and he could just do whatever the hell he wanted to do. But when he gets paired with another superstar like KD or Russ or or um, now with Joel Embiid and he has to let the other one shine just to like it's I'm not saying he's a bad player when that stuff has to happen. He's not. He's a very good player. Um, But if he's going to be taking a backseat, is he really worth the keeper cost? I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I mean, here's the other thing that we're forgetting here. Okay. The 76ers. All right. There's James Harden. There's Joel Embiid. There's like, you know, Tyrese Maxey and all this other bullshit in between. I love Maxey. Um, Don't you say a bad word. I know. I look, I like him too, but I don't, there's so many point guards. I like more than him. Um, But do we think Joel Embiid's going to be healthy for a full year? Do we think James Harden is going to be healthy for a full year? Yeah, I think so. I don't see. I mean, he doesn't have quite the injury history. My point is, is that like if Joel Embiid goes down, James Harden becomes he could potentially reclaim the number two spot in fantasy. And then you have the number one and number two guy in fantasy. And you you want to say, fuck it for what? For what? Anyways, that's just my limited thoughts on uh, Paul's team. Next, I have my guys. You know, thank you for Ja. Very excited. We're in the hat right now. Ja and uh, Tatum. I put them up there because I put my team up there because uh, both of them finished uh, decently on the Player Raider last year. What thought they? You know what? Ja did not because he was hurt. But that's oh, that's right. Yeah, but Tatum's six, so you know, I feel fine about that. I think that Ja will. You know, if he gets hurt, then it, then I'm screwed. If he doesn't, whatever. That's just kind of my take on it. Any thoughts? Absolutely. Tons of thoughts because I just gave you Ja. So Tatum's a stud all around. No worries there. And it's not that I necessarily even have worry for Ja. Like, I think that Ja will be great. And I think that Ja will continue to improve. My only thing is, I think that his elite value is tied to him making threes. And I watched a lot of Ja last season. And there is, I think, the possibility of Ja fluctuating in terms of his three-point percentages throughout his career. Like, I think that he is capable of somebody that can hit two to three threes a game in a given season. But then I do think he's also capable of, like, the next season putting up, like, a 250 percentage from three and just, like, not really having value-wise, statistically, fantasy-wise, like, the best season. So 
there is a little bit of a hesitation in terms of me just declaring Ja an absolute fantasy stud. I would like to, oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think that he's amazing, but there is a little bit of hesitation that gets tied to the fact that from long distance, Ja really accelerated his game last year. And is there a potential for that to drop off? I don't know. Is there a potential for fluctuation within that stat? I don't know. And how much of that value can be tied to that alone? Because like he basically like he basically repeated what he did his first year, but he added a lot more threes. So, you know, that's why I think the boost in value was there last season. So if he yeah, continues to do that, you're good. The the threes and also the free throw percentage, the free throw percentage definitely has to go up because it's uh, it's pretty abysmal. But those are things that I think can be changed. So we'll see. At number five, this was a weird one because I think that they're still up in the air about who they're keeping. I have Justin. Now, originally, I said that he was going to keep Trey and Anthony Davis. I don't know if he listened to my last podcast, but I think he might keep Halliburton. Because keeping Trey in Halliburton would be kind of insane. You don't have to worry about the, you know, every single time Anthony Davis like goes to grab his knee, which is after every single layup. So if he keeps Trey in Halliburton, this is like, this could be one of the best keeper sets in the league, uh, bar none. I think similarly to Ian, he's set up outstandingly well for this upcoming draft because he has the back-to-back picks at the end of the round and if he's able to you know like he could theoretically like he could have so much depth and have two guys who he's keeping one of them who finished I think Trey finished number two in the player Raider last year yeah Trey Young who finished number two and then Halliburton who finished seventh I mean the only person who comes close to that is Kyle Towns and Curry and I think that's going down Obviously, I know I put Ian number one with uh, freaking uh, Luca and Dame. That's because I think Dame's going to have a big bounce back year. I mean, I also think having, you know, I think that having that kind of, I don't know. I, th- I think Luca and Dame is still number one. It's questionable. I might flip flop on that. But if you have Trey and Halliburton, holy crap. And then the then those back to back picks cushioned at the bottom of round one. I think I think you're set up for some major success. What do you think? Yeah, no, I absolutely love Tyrese Halliburton. I think that him going to Indianapolis was a really, really big thing for his career. I mean, if if you look at the breakdown, it's not necessarily, I'm not talking about groundbreaking shifts here, but like in Sacramento, he averaged 15 points. When he went to Indianapolis, it went up to 17.5. When he was in Sacramento, his free throw percentage was 12 points lower than it was when he moved to Indianapolis. When he was in Sacramento, his field goal percentage was almost 50 points less than when he moved to Indianapolis. So whatever happened, moving to Indianapolis was a good thing for Tyrese Halliburton, who was already having a breakthrough season. So now you put him on a team that he can actually excel even further because he doesn't have someone like Darren Fox to kind of like always have to be in the shadow of, even though he's and Brogdon's sort of, gone. Yeah, and Brogdon's gone too. So it is really the Halliburton show there. Um, so yeah, like I think that sky's the limit. Um, he could p- put together like a 2010-5 season with like really good defensive value as well. And if that's the case, then he's going to be a top 10 
player in fantasy. I mean, he was he was top seven last year, and he split time. So, like, I mean, the th- the crazy thing with Halliburton is the adjusted field goal percentage because it's absolutely astronomical. I think it's like six twenty or something, which is something you do not see from a uh, from a guard. guard. No, and, never. Yeah, from and like so the and I think the main reason for that is he doesn't take a lot of threes. Which okay, you know, whatever. But you have Trey Young, so that's going to balance it out, right? Also, and, his three point like, percentage last year was above. 400 so when he is taking threes he's making mm-hmm. about 40 percent from three is crazy that's and really I think good that, like, that's really really good that's better than most yeah. like three pointers like shooter percentage you know and mm-hmm. maybe it's because of the lack of volume there but still like it's what was his free throw percentage his free throw percentage is insane bro it's like 850 which again for a guard like when he moved to indianapolis it went from 837 to 849 and for a guard nowadays in the contemporary nba you just don't really see that i just think i'm just trying to think of like so elite adjusted field goal percentage fantastic three percentage not a lot of not as many threes as say other other point guards Fair. but without not Brogdon up to three there could be a lot more threes this year too it could be it could be and then you also have an 85 percent free throw percentage and then you also have i think top five in the league in steals and like a decent amount of blocks i mean it's just he's really really good in a high a super high level of assists like all you're waiting on is the points those points jump up to 22 this guy's top three player the usage Um, keep track of the usage percentage i guarantee you that his usage percentage is going to be like just take an astronomical jump up this year due to being in indianapolis so yeah, so that is uh, Justin's keepers that could easily be the best in the league. I'll actually rank Justin fourth ahead of me. Um, can we take a quick timeout and can I just ask, like, do you remember what the Halliburton trade was? Did Indianapolis just like completely fleece Sacramento? Yeah, I mean they traded Sabonis, which just makes no sense. Um, I guess that's I true. They remember didn't correctly, him. like they didn't fleece him, but it also just didn't really. Like, I guess they were trying to commit to Fox and show that they care because they also have Davian Mitchell and Halliburton was coming up on his rookie deal or whatever. But I just I don't know. It's just one of the stranger like I like Halliburton could easily have a DeJounte Murray like year. And I think he's still finished even. Sorry, not even DeJounte Murray. He's He's better than DeJounte Murray. He's He's he's, like he's the version of DeJounte Murray that we all wished happened. Yeah, I, I mean, I just. I can I can't really think of more than maybe I don't even know if I how many point guards I can think of that I would rather have than Tyrese or guards in general. So yeah, I I think if he if Halliburton is in the draft, Steve should be taking him with his first overall pick. And if he's like he just should be kept. I I don't I think that he is far too valuable in our format even though ESPN's rankings won't show it. I think he's ranked like 44th or something on ESPN's rankings, but he's an absolute stud. Uh, number six, I got Pete. So Dame is gone, but we added Giannis. Giannis and the despised Fred Van Fleet, who, like, <laughs> I say this, and yet, like, Fred Van Fleet finished like 14th last year. So, like, why am I being such a dick? Um, Giannis finished 11th. Fred Van Vliet finished 14th. I don't see Pete. I think Pete should just stay pat. I don't think there should be, I don't think there's any reason for like another keeper upgrade because everybody ahead of Fred Van Vliet, except for the convict, uh, is, uh, I don't mean it that way, but like uh, fucking Miles Bridges, like child abuse and domestic violence. I don't fucking care. You're a piece of shit in my book. Uh, he is not going to be in the draft, probably. 
So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason why Pete would make a move. And I think it's just like perfect middle of the road keeper set. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that Van Vliet just basically repeated what he did in 2020 when, or 2021 when, um, we all kind of like bumped him up into like, you know, the upper echelon in terms of guards. So there's really no reason to expect, um, a drop off in skills just yet. He's 27 years old, so... I think that he's going to be good for a while. And yeah, if he puts up another 20 point per game, like six, seven assist season, he's he's going to definitely be worthy of a keeper uh, spot. So when I when you first hear it, like Van Vliet as a keeper, you're like, eh, but then you kind of look into it and you're like, actually, that's pretty good. The guy who was the backup point guard on the championship team who came from the G League. Oh, okay, Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it just it's. Yeah, exactly. Because we we never see that. I will. Let's take a second here. What do you think of Pete's trade? Yeah, sure. So I think he gave up a lot, but he is getting Giannis, and Giannis is like a perennial, you know, top five, top ten guy. So to bank on that, plus the fact that like you know he had been rocking Anthony Davis for a few years, and I got to imagine like the biggest sigh of relief when you can go into the next year after having Anthony Davis for years and then having Giannis because it's like ah finally somebody doing what they're supposed to do on a night-to-night basis so I think that that headache alone (laughs) might be worth the trade or like uh, leaving that headache alone might be worth the trade but that being said like Ian got tons tons of value so um, I think it's win-win I think it's the steepest price I've ever seen for anything in this league if I'm being quite honest, I, I think is. that like, because if I think back, I got when I traded Jokic, I got LeBron. No, that was when I traded Giannis. When I traded Giannis, I got LeBron and uh, Tobias Harris. That was in season, granted. When I traded for Jokic. No, I got LeBron. Sorry, I got LeBron and I got Colin Sexton, which everyone thought was a hose. And uh, then I traded Jokic. And I got Tobias Harris and Jason Tatum because I was trying to make a playoff push. That's a steep, the second pick after keepers and your next pick, the next round. So you're not picking till round three or sorry, round five. That's a steep price. But I think that you're going to be kind of okay because you at least have a big, but it's a very steep price to pay. Um, I agree. It is a steep price. I I think that it's just the difference of when you're trading in season versus when you're trading off season, you know, like, yeah, obviously to get a keeper for the next season, you're going to pay a lot, but when you're in season, you know, that the play, the manager that's trying to make the playoffs is really in a spot where you can not take advantage, but sort of, you don't have to give up draft capital necessarily. And that, that I think is the ultimate. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think it's going to be, you know what it, Pete just I think if when Pete does have his draft and maybe this is maybe this is another like big brain move that I just can't even think of. But if I like maybe this is because I know Pete's had a history of like missing the playoffs because he's or being frustrated with his team because he trusted and injured guys. Maybe he's just like after the after, you know, after getting rid of Anthony Davis, maybe this is a turn of the page where it's like. I'm not drafting any injured guys. I don't have time to be waiting for guys when your first when your first pick after you, your two keepers is going to be in the 
third round after keepers. So this is, I mean, it's, I think it's a change of identity kind of season for a lot of play, for a lot of teams. I mean, this is the first season I, I'm not having Jokic or Giannis. Or, sorry. No, this is my second. I keep, I'm lost time with COVID. But, anyways, yeah. So, yeah, decent deal from both sides, I'd say. Next, I have you. You know, I know we're still up in the air as to who you're keeping. I know that LeBron is one of them. And potentially Cade, which I think would be a good, I think it'd be smart to do. But uh, any thoughts on what you might do? Yeah, so I'd say that keeping LeBron is most likely a definite situation. On a game-to-game basis, LeBron is the best player. He was last year even at age 30, what, like 37? Mm -hmm. And he's still doing it. So he's one of those few guys, I feel like, who you know is going to miss time but you're not necessarily worried about it. So that's just my thoughts on LeBron. Now, for the next one, I've got plenty of guys that I could go down that road with. I really obviously love Brandon Ingram. I think everybody knows that at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm a fan of DeAndre Ayton, and I'm glad that he got his bag, but I don't necessarily know if he's somebody that will live up to the hype that is like constantly surrounding him. So that brings us to Cade Cunningham. And I think that Cade Cunningham is where I'm going to go because we were just talking about Tyrese Halliburton. And if there's anybody in the NBA that I believe can become the next Tyrese Halliburton, I think that most logically it's Cade Cunningham. When you side them up next to each other, and bring up their per 36 minutes. It's eerily similar. You know, Halliburton's free throw percentage is 849. Cade Cunningham's is 845. Cade Cunningham averages 1.3 steals per game, uh, per 36. Uh, Halliburton gets 1.8. So a little improvement there, and he's right up next to him. Cade Cunningham per 36 averages six assists and six rebounds. Halliburton definitely has the advantage of, on rebounds at, like I think, like eight. But, you know, the rebounds are the same. And, and hopefully, again, Cade takes a step forward and maybe with some new pieces like Ivy. And I think that they also got a few other bigs, right? Like they got like Marvin Bagley last year, but then I think even somebody this offseason. So maybe the pieces around him are going to be better for more assists there. And then in terms of percentages, you know, Cade's, Cade can definitely take a step up there. He That's where he lags behind Halliburton. But Cade coming into the draft was like, you know, by scouts reported to be one of the guards that can put up an elite field goal percentage. And also he's that he's much more of a dead eye from three than last season would have you to believe. Now, last season, he also started the year off with an injury. And if you kind of look at, you know, like about midway through when he was back and then like you take like the rest of the year sample, like there was a seismic shift in terms of Cade's usage, his output, his efficiency, all of that stuff. So I think that he was taking a step forward in the right direction last season. And then, like I said, with new pieces this year, I think that logically he is the next person that can become like a Tyree or um, a Tyrese Halliburton. So I think that Cade is where I'm going to go. He's the youngest out of all the group, out of everyone in the group that I mentioned. So yeah, I think Cade makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that especially you look at those pre versus post All-Star game splits. I mean... There you Pre-All-Star go. game, like 15.7, 5.5, 5.2. Post, 21.1, 5.7, Uh His true shooting percentage went up from 489 to 531. The usage went up 4%. You know, pretty much everything was going up. So I don't really see any 
like I, I think it's got to be Cade. I think to your point, I agree a hundred percent that he could be like Halliburton. I don't know if the adjusted field goal percentage or efficient field goal percentage will necessarily be Halliburton level, but I think that over time, with time, he could be practically on par with that kind of value that someone like Halliburton. So yeah, um, yeah, that absolutely. is that. Any closing thoughts on your team? Yeah, I think just the last thing that I wanted to mention is that I had, um, it's like an eerily similar trajectory to that feeling that I had with Anthony Edwards. You know, like that first year that Anthony Edwards was in the league, it was like he, he kind of had like a rough start, but then like at some point there was just like this massive thing that just clicked. I get the same kind of vibe with Cade Cunningham. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's going to be interesting to see because you have like the future and the, the oldest past, man yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, very exactly. Funny. Yeah, very funny. Number eight, I have Noel. I don't really know what to expect. This could be an elite keeper set. Could not be. All depends on uh, Kawhi Leonard and if Kevin Durant, what the hell happens with him? If Kawhi Leonard plays the whole rest load management type thing, I don't know what to expect. I really don't. But that being said, he still has Kevin Durant, who's who's kind of good. You know, we'll see where he ends up. I don't know if he's going to have, like, I don't know if he's going to carry quite the load that he carried for uh, Brooklyn the majority of last season. But I think that he's going to, uh, he's going to be useful wherever he plays. So, yeah, I think it depends with, with where those guys kind of land. Well, I believe kind of sneaked into the playoffs last year. And so he should be... Uh, should be interested to see how his team performs. He's got a pretty decent pick towards the end of the uh, first round, which is it could be one of those tricky spots where it's like you miss out on the guys that you want. I think he's picking, what is this, 12, 11? He's picking ninth right ahead of me. So it could be one of those slots where the guy who is falling, who you wanted, like just went, and then you're trying to figure out the rest. And then kind of similarly when you're, you're not quite back to back. You're almost kind of in the middle of the round. So I don't know. It could be could be a difficult spot to be in, but I think that he will. Uh, I think he'll probably make good and have a uh, have a pretty decent draft and a good season. He's starting to get a real feel for fantasy basketball since picking it up when he first joined our league. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what Noel does. Yeah, I think it's it's a really dangerous keeper set. Like, let's not make any. <laughs> let's not. Sugar. It's very, very dangerous. Could be amazing could be really amazing but could also really really burn up on could you. be the most could be could be amazing could be the most agonizing thing to yeah, uh, yeah. To especially ever especially depending on where durant lands like look we know we know what Kawhi is going to be facing Kawhi is like not going to be playing that back-to-backs like hardly ever he's gonna get plenty of load management at least in the beginning of the season like i'm just like i'm not even talking about back-to-back days i'm talking about games like they might like play him one game and then three days later sit him another game like the next game and so like that like there's just so much unpredictability there and so you've got to really be on top of your lineup that kind of stuff constantly plugging and playing for the days that Kawhi's out so that's why i say that a lot of it really depends on where durant lands because if durant lands somewhere that he can repeat what he did last year then it's you know it's a lot more swallow like you can swallow it a lot easier with Kawhi um if you can bank on that production from durant but if durant goes somewhere where his head's not right or it just doesn't fit like we've seen a lot of these super teams like try to put the glue together and it just doesn't work sometimes I'm looking at you Lakers from last season, but like <laughs> it doesn't always work. So Durant could go somewhere where the mind frame is just not clicking and 
it I don't know it could it could be really really bad but it could be really really amazing like we like I said before I want to put that out there as well because I do think it has the potential to maybe be one of the best keeper tandems on a night-to-night basis but what is that gonna look like is the question I think if I'm Noel and I'm going into the draft I have one thing on my mind and one thing only and that's point guard point guard 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 point guard point guard 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 maybe a big because I think that that is I think that the nice thing is right now as of right now Noel is the only a league manager that is not keeping a point guard. So he should be able to draft, just like load up on guards for the first couple of rounds while everyone else is trying to focus on bigs. Now, he might miss out on bigs, just kind of another tricky thing when both of your guys are kind of pretty much wings. But, you know, if he if he nails the other things, and I'm sure he can swallow and then maybe find you know, maybe a Valanchunas or or somebody later on in the rounds who you can get value out of. Yeah, definitely. I was trying to like think of something, but I I think that you said it best. You you might want to go. My my version of what you said is you, you want people if you're Noel that are gonna touch the ball a lot because you exactly. know that Durant like you know could be a, a headache this year, and you know Kawhi is gonna sit a lot. So you just want people that are touching the ball a lot and just like that are providing opportunities on the assists, on the rebounds, on the points. Um, and that usually does tend to skew towards guards. So that's probably the right strat. At uh, number nine, I have Avery. Now this is another keeper set. This is one of the few keeper sets that's kind of up in the air as well. I have it marked as Embiid and Kyrie, which I think is like granted that's what he had last year, and somehow he won the freaking league as a nine seed. I still, that was one of the more incredible runs I've ever seen. Personally, I'd want Mobley and Embiid and then draft point guards galore, guards galore. Uh, Just because I don't, like, I feel like if you don't keep Kyrie, I don't think he's going in the first couple of picks. I think people are keeping guards. I think they're not going to worry about, like, and, like, I don't think that, um, I don't even think that if he drops to Noel, who's the only guy who's not keeping guys, I don't think he's going to go there. I think the draft is loaded with guards like Garland's going to go before him. Fox is going to go before him. You know, let me let me let me even just see what what point guards like there's because so, he's also ranked so low. I mean, if if Booker's in the draft, he's going to go Chris Paul, Drew Holiday, De'Aaron Fox, you know, Darius Garland, Terry Rozier, Lonzo Ball. Like, all those guys are going to probably go before Kyrie goes. So if if you really want, you could get... And, like, granted, I say I take this with a grain of salt because I, I suggest taking it with a grain of salt because Mobley is ranked so profoundly low, and I don't think anyone really kind of values, views his value the way that I view it. I think that Mobley is going to finish top 20, if not top 15 in our league as players, potentially even higher than that. I don't think people view him that way. And especially with like keeper value being put into where you draft guys, I can completely understand not keeping it. I might keep Booker instead. I think that's a viable option. I don't know if I'd keep Kyrie. Obviously, I think you have to keep MB. But those kind of question marks, that's why I have his team a little bit down here at number nine, because I just don't know what to do. Definitely. Um, I think you you hit the nail on the head. You got to keep Embiid for sure. And then the rest of it's kind of up in the air. This is why like I I really love that like basketball is starting to become more like baseball where there's like more of these advanced stats and you can start to like create more of a 
more analysis in your head around a guy because like Evan Mobley, like when you look under the hood, there's not like a ton that like stands out at you surface wise. But if you dig a little deeper, there is some interesting stuff. So like Evan Mobley last year, he averaged 15 points a game. He had eight rebounds a game, almost two blocks a game. And he, and he shot well from the floor. Pretty good. You know, not necessarily like doesn't stand out as you like as like keeper numbers or anything like that. But you start to go down and you start to look at like the advanced the advanced stats on basketball reference and you see that his usage percentage is up over 20%, like a little over 20%. And for a big, that's solid. Like you're looking at guards that have like 25% usage and if Evan Mobley's at like 20% usage, that's really really good for a big. You look at his win shares, which is almost like a war basically for a basketball player and it's over 5 and he was hurt for a decent amount last year in his rookie year and that's really really good for a first year player and somebody that spent some of the time hurt. That's just a lot of a value to the team, to the actual Cleveland Cavalier. So you look at Evan Mobley at his minutes played because I was looking at his per 36 and his per 36 isn't really like doesn't like jump out at you. But it's because the guy played 34 minutes a game. Somebody playing 34 minutes a game is viewed as instrumental to their team. So this is all to say that the Cavaliers love Evan Mobley and they're going to put Evan Mobley on the court all the time because what he does wins basketball games and if he's on the court all the time you best believe there's a really good chance that his statistical numbers are going to take a bump up as he develops experience so i think that evan mobley is a perfectly fine keeper that's all that to say fair enough fair enough i think that um moving on here to reese okay now reese is going to keep ann edwards and the mellow ball I have him at 10. Uh, I mean, LaMelo was absolutely outstanding last year. You know, Ant Edwards finished 28th on the player Raider, and I'm a little nervous as to what that team's going to look like. I mean, I assume his stats are going to go up. I, I think it's overthinking it to think that it, his stats are going to go down. I just don't know if I like it more than these other keeper sets. If I was him, I'd, I'd maybe, honestly, maybe not keep Ant Edwards, let him go in the draft, maybe be able to get him back. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get him back, so... I guess not. You're just kind of you're just kind of at a spot where like that's what it's going to be. You might end up with the best keeper set like a year from now, two years from now. I just don't like it more than these other keeper sets that we've already listed. I definitely like understand where you're coming from because Aunt Edwards was somebody that I had and obviously I love very much. Don't get me wrong, but he's somebody that I I never really once thought about keeping only because what he does for you is very easily replaceable unfortunately he doesn't necessarily stand out in any one particular stat this is why somebody like anthony wiggins has always been like historically or sorry andrew wiggins this is why somebody like wiggins has been like always historically very low on the player radar and it's been very frustrating for owners who took him because you normally kind of have to take a little bit of um or you normally have to draft him a little bit earlier because of the name value and because he is a really good basketball player in real life. But for fantasy, you're talking about a guy who takes a lot of shots. So with both Edwards and with Wiggins, you're talking about guys that take a lot of shots. And so their percentages are never particularly high. They average about 20 points a game, but so do the very best players across every position. So it doesn't necessarily matter. And then they're shooting guards. So they're not necessarily ball handlers and playmakers. So they're not getting a ton of assists. And so 
they have to find somewhere to make up that ground, whether it's free throw percentage or whether it's defensive numbers like assists or I mean like blocks and steals. And so if Ant Edwards does grab on to something like that, that kind of can make him elite at the position despite not being like a playmaker or a rebounder. That's why like we keep point guards and, and centers so often is because what they do so far and away blows away the rest of the competition that their value skyrockets. And so Ant Edwards is going to be somebody who always provides like a stable floor in value, but you can almost guarantee that he's never going to truly take that step to be like, you know, a Steph or a Jokic or somebody like that that's at like the very top of the player radar. But I do think that there's value there. So if you're kind of unsure about who your other keepers are going to be, I think he could be fine value to keep. I think that there's just no one that kind of is better than him that's really on the table right now. And that's that's the only reason why that's the main reason in my mind why he's being kept like I said he's 28th. I think he's going to go up in value. But like, let's go through these guys real quick ahead of him. Valanchunas, absolutely not. CP3, nope. Jaron Jackson Jr., nope. Terry Rozier, nope. DeMar DeRozan, nope. Rudy Gobert, don't know about those stats. Jordan Poole, huh. DeJounte Murray, who is 20th and 6th? No, like he, he's probably going to be kept. Devin Booker, maybe. But then if KD goes there, then like, are you really going to do that? Donovan Mitchell, he's going to be the only guy in Utah. Garland, I I don't know. I don't think I, I don't think so. And then you get into like the creme de la creme that are Garland, Bain, nope. And then it's just kind of like the creme de la creme of guys who have already listed as keepers. So I think that I think Ann Edwards is fine. I think that he could take another step to be a top 10. I I do think that's possible. I just think that we haven't seen it yet. And the only hesitancy I have is just what Gobert is going to do. But you know he does produce those steel numbers. He he is kind of all around. And I think that uh I think that him and Lamelo should be a pretty pretty nice keeper set for at least the you know several years from now. Agreed. At eleven, I got Jimmy. Jimmy kind of is you know he's he's been trying to get back into the playoffs since year one. He's keeping Donovan Mitchell, who I think is honestly kind of underrated in our league. He finished eighteenth last year overall, and uh, that's ahead of like. That's ahead of DeJounte Murray and Devin Booker, which I don't think that people quite process, right? Because both of them were kind of outstanding last year. So yeah, Donovan Mitchell, he's keeping. And then the other is Paul George. Now, Paul George, he's honestly kind of in the same boat as Kawhi, but for different reasons, where you don't know what you're going to get. You're either going to get a guy who's producing at an absolute elite level, and he has been a top five fantasy guy before uh, in season, then he kind of disappears. So that's kind of why I have Jimmy down there at number 11. I do think that Donovan Mitchell is going to have an outstanding year. I think he's going to be one of the better keepers in this league. But I, I could easily see Paul George. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to continue. Like, this keeper set is perfectly fine. That's kind of the best way I can put it. Yeah, and I think every team at this point should have a keeper set that at least is perfectly fine. What it's going to ultimately total out to, who knows? I think that the one thing that you didn't mention that I will bring up is that I, I do feel like Paul George's numbers are dramatically different when Kai, when Kawhi is on the floor and when he's not on the floor. This year, Kawhi is going to be getting back to being on the floor, at least semi-regularly. So I, I do wonder what that's going to look like with him and Paul George. I, don't, I think that they definitely elevate each other in terms of real-life basketball, but I don't know if they necessarily 
are a benefit to each other being on the same court all the time in terms of fantasy because yeah like when it's the paul george show he can be a top five player but it, it might ha- they might have to just share responsibilities and and ball mm. total and usage and stuff so i think that it'll be interesting nonetheless i do think that you're right on about donovan mitchell i think that for years he's been underrated and you know like when you just shoot that good from three you're you're gonna provide value for your manager always yeah and then finally steve's team Steve did outstanding last year, almost won the whole thing. And now he is going to have back-to-back pick, or he's going to have the first pick in the draft, I should say. <sighs> I don't know. Like, it's such a weird keeper set, and I just don't... I don't know that Sabonis is going to be the... I, I just don't... I don't know. <laughs> Truly. Like, I wouldn't want to not keep Sabonis and DeJounte Murray, but DeJounte Murray is going to be playing alongside Trey Young now. He's not going to be anywhere near that 20, 20th on the player Raider that he was last year. He just won't be. I, so I don't know that I don't know that he's worth a keeper right now. Like he went to the worst possible team for his fantasy value, in my opinion. Why? Because Trey's there and he's just going to affect everything. Because when DeJounte Murray was on San Antonio, he was the entire show. It wasn't like Jakob Podol was like, excuse me, sir. I believe that you're in my spot. No, this was the DeJounte Murray show, and it that's what it was all of last year. It was outstanding. He had, like, practically triple-double numbers, if I remember correctly. Do I think the rebounds? Like, I, it all depends as to who's going to play point guard on that team. Is it going to be him or Trey Young? I think it's going to be Trey Young. And if it's Trey Young, then those assist numbers are going to go down for DeJounte Murray. It's not going to be 9.2 assists per game. Like, we could be looking at someone who is 21, 8, 9, 2, and 0.3 to someone who is, I don't know, 18, 7, and 6, which then, what does that make you? Well, I think it's, I think it's all interesting points. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of DeJounte Murray because, you know, we'd kind of been waiting for years for this season, and now that it's happened, it's it's kind of weird because he's going somewhere else. Um, He's going somewhere that has a legitimate, like, you know, like face of the franchise player. Um, And maybe, maybe his numbers will take a hit because of that. But like, what if they don't, what if him and Trey young just work wonderfully? You know, like we've seen this before where NBA backcourts, they, they get a little muddy in terms of the roles. And that's because, teams spread out minutes like more creatively now so that you know like maybe Trey Young plays the first eight minutes of the game with DeJounte Murray and then DeJounte Murray closes out the first quarter and then Trey Young plays like the whole second quarter and then they play together for the rest of the game and maybe that's enough to keep the assist totals high for Murray you know maybe if he like runs like with the second team a lot more his assist numbers will be higher I just don't know how it's going to work out. I'm very excited by it, though, because, like, the areas that Trey Young doesn't perform well, like, you know, rebounds and defense, like, DeJounte Murray excels at that. And the areas that DeJounte Murray doesn't really excel, like, in terms of three-point shooting and just sort of, like, you know, dazzling sort of, like, playmaking and ball handling, that's where Trey Young does shine. So... I'm excited to see how this works out. And I, I do wonder if it can boost their individual values or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's also fair. Like I, I 
flip-flop every year as to what the impact is with some of these guys getting added because I think it I think it lies somewhere in the middle, right? That it's not going to be as dramatic as like he's going to suck, but it's also going to be substantial enough that he's like it's like he's not a god. I don't know, quick question before we uh, wrap up the show. Jimmy Butler or DeJounte Murray? I'll go with Butler. Cuz I guess there the question is is like if he if Steve I don't. I think Steve's kind of in a weird spot, right? Where it's like, okay, I guess I'll keep Dejounte Murray and Sabonis, and then with my first pick, I'll take Shea. I'll take whoever's available. You know, you could theoretically, like, if I don't know, if Anthony Davis isn't kept, then uh, you could take him, right? And you could have uh, a pretty decent top three. The point is, point I'm trying to make is that I don't think that it's as bad that he should ship that first overall pick. And I think if he ships his second round or by first overall, I mean like first after keepers. And I, I also don't know if it's bad enough that for his second round that I would even trade that as well. But I will say maybe you just don't keep anybody. That old, that old song and dance. Huh? Well, it's the last, it's the last time you can do it, but I, I'm going to you... call it the, the, the teasler effect. The teaser effect. I, I like that. The teaser yeah. effect. So um, if you decide to go for the teaser effect, I think that you have to just really map out your draft very, very much. Like you have to know when you're taking guys and you have to plan for like, okay, I'm going to take this guy ahead of everyone else. So that way I know that I get him because I really believe in this guy. And you got to do a lot of prep work. So if you're down to do that, go for it. If you're good at doing that, go for it. But I do think that keeping people... It's just a way of getting the guys you want, and it's a guarantee. And so there's very few opportunities for that within draft or within trades throughout the season. So take your shot when you're given them is kind of my overall like mindset about it. And you know, if you have a few guys like this team does, like you you can afford to use those keeper spots. Yeah, fair. Well, that's gonna do it for uh, for us. Yeah, that uh, I think we mentioned it. The John Morant trade. I just. I needed, I couldn't keep Jalen Brown. Chris, as he already alluded to, you know, he, he has his own thoughts about Ja, thinks he's going to be a stud, but also like he could, needs a little bit, just wants a little bit more for fantasy. Yeah, no, it's not even that I, like, look, like, I just think that Ja is a high variation player. High variation players are players that I feel like I can afford to lose. Like, you know, like I know what I'm getting from LeBron and I am taking a, like a shot in the dark on Cade Cunningham, admittedly, but you know, it's just what shots in the dark you feel comfortable taking and then what shots in the dark you feel like, you know, can I get value for this rather than like my level of comfort with it. And so I do feel like, you know, with Ja, I just don't know if he's going to repeat everything he did last season, next season. So maybe get the fair value from him. And if I'm taking a shot, I already have Cade. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, but I love Ja. I love Ja so much. Yeah. I named my te- I named my team after him, and I'm really sad because that was like my favorite team name, even in like fantasy sports. Just like the the ha 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 in Spanish, which is with a J. So it's just Ja 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 Ja. But I'm sad. I'll have to rename it. I'll have to think of something clever. Well, we we have plenty of time. On that note, we will uh, we'll be back potentially next week talk about point guard rankings uh maybe Tyrese Halliburton will be kept by then otherwise he uh spoiler alert he's easily the best player in the draft and the best point guard available so that's gonna do it for us y'all take care have a great weekend and we'll see you soon later Later.